The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Book of Proverbs, 20% of the book of Proverbs talks about money. 20%. So we're going to talk about money this morning. If you have your Bibles, your apps, you might want to open them up. Uh, Proverbs 1.9 is our key verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we recognize everything we say and do begins right there with fearing him, knowing him, walking with him. Appreciate your prayers this week. We head off to MD Anderson uh, Tuesday and Wednesday. Have an appointment with uh, docs on Tuesday, Wednesday. Take a look and see if there's another clinical trial we can do. Appreciate your prayers as we take a look at that. Been quite a journey. As you know, six years ago, we diagnosed with this disease. For six years, I've been in meetings where we've talked about what are we going to do when Gary dies. And so <laughs> the only thing that hasn't happened is Gary dying so far. So we, we still stick around, see what God's going to do. There we go. To him be the glory. To him be the glory. Uh, so I'm sure there's some people saying, would you just kick the bucket because it's about time. And uh, so... But we, you know, we, we keep trusting him. Uh, our family motto for six years has been every day is a gift from God, enjoy it. And so I, I pray you'll do the same thing. Just enjoy the gift of today, the gift he's given you. And uh, love him well, serve him well, honor him well. That's our desire more than anything else. So we'll see these docs on Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, see what they say, see what they do, see if uh, something else happens. So if not, we keep clinging to him regardless. So that's, that's what we're about. Money. It's a topic uh, near and dear to all of our hearts. We don't talk about it much at TBC. I, I've had folks say, TBC talks less about money in church we've been to. We don't do pledges. We don't pass an offering plate. Uh, we don't bring people in for capital campaigns. We believe that if you are taught the word and fed the word, then part of your worship is to be giving. That's kind of the way we've operated for all the years we've been here and even before that. And God has graciously provided through you. In Philippians chapter one, Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. We've been doing Philippians in our Thursday morning men's Bible study. We meet at 6.30, a bunch of men, about 100 guys meet, and uh, we've been going through Philippians. And what we realize is when Paul talks about their participation in the gospel, when you look at that in conjunction with Philippians 4, he's talking about their financial participation in supporting him. And Paul says, I want you to know how thankful I am for the way that you have cared for us, the way you've provided for us. And so I speak on behalf of not only myself and our family, but the leadership at TBC, the pastors, the elders, and uh, the deacons by saying, I want to start this sermon by saying thanks. Thanks for the way that you've so generously given to this body. And uh, not many pastors thank their people, I thank for their generosity, but we want to do that over and over and over again. And uh, because of your generosity, here's some of the things that are happening right now in Rwanda and Ukraine. There are kids' camps happening, and it's because of your generosity. There are kids that would not be at camp this summer. They're going to hear the good news of the gospel. They're going to grow. We have teams in both of those nations. You supported the teams that are gone. You've provided for much of the financial needs for those camps. And they are there this week because of your generosity. We've got teams that are there. We've got teams headed there next week as well. And uh, so because of your generosity, that's happening. Because of your generosity, we have 11 of us on pastoral staff. Because of your generosity, we have nine ministry assistants. Because of your generosity, we have seven part-time ministry staff 
staffed primarily in the area of children's ministries. We have three ministry residents. These are young people who spent one year with us before they launch into some type of vocational ministry. We have about 10 college interns every semester. We pay them a minimal amount and they're involved in leading primarily our youth. We, we have over 25 family units serving in over 20 nations currently. That's amazing. Over 25 family units. Some of you may not know that 20% of our general fund, any money that's given to our general fund, 20% right off the top goes to global and local outreach and missions. Last year, that was over $1 million. That's an amazing thing given to missions. So God has blessed us in many, many ways. And we just want to say thank you for your generosity. In the past five years, we've built $10.8 million worth of buildings, and uh, we only have $2.8 million of indebtedness. That's a miracle. Uh, $8 million paid off. We'd like to pay the other 2.8 off as quickly as possible. We'd love to see that done. Personally, our family, every pastoral staff family could come up here, but our family has been supported by you since 1981. Every paycheck we have received has been through the generosity of you, God's saints. So we want to say thank you. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts, the way you've supplied for us, the way you've cared for us. With some policies in place at TBC, I never see who's giving. Uh, I have no access to that. Pastoral staff does not. Uh, so I have no idea if you've given tens of dollars, hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands of dollars. If you've given over a million, I'd probably find out though. <laughs> But we do that for two reasons. First of all, we, we instituted that policy when I first came. I didn't want to know who was given forgiving for two reasons. First of all, I think it's biblical. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. It's a matter between you and God. He's talking about giving, how the Pharisees gave publicly, and they, they would blow a trumpet, and they would announce it, and people would see how much they're giving. And uh, I believe it's biblical for us not to do that. By the way, when we first came here, we had a biblical piano player. Her right hand did not know what her left hand was doing. <laughs> Some of you remember those days. It was, Mark thinks he struggled last hour. It was wonderful, actually. Uh, the second reason that we don't want to know those things, or I personally don't want to know those things, is I don't want to show preference. I don't want to show preference to those who give a lot of money, and I don't want to sit in judgment of those who are chintzy at the king's table. I don't want to do that. And I'm human like anybody else. If I found out folks never give or they feast at the king's table and they're chintzy with honoring the king, that would bother me. If I knew somebody gave a lot of money, I'd probably want to take them to lunch and make sure they stayed at TBC. I don't need to do that. Pastors are not above and not immune from showing preference. I was reminded of that when I read the following story. I used it several years ago. Two men, there was a pilot who was taking a businessman on a trip and uh, they crashed on a deserted desert island. Sounds like Gilligan's Island, doesn't it? But they crashed on a deserted island and uh, the, the pilot said, I want you to stay here. I'm gonna look around the island to see if there's food, if there's water, if we can survive. The pilot came running back and he said, I've got bad news. He said, we're gonna die. There's no fresh water in this island anywhere and there's nothing to eat anywhere. We're gonna die. And the businessman looked at him and said, no, we won't. I make $250,000 a month, we're not gonna die. And the pilot looked at him and said, you're crazy. There's no food. There's no water here. I'm going to go look again. So the pilot ran around the island. It was a small island. He looked everywhere. No food, no fresh water. He came back to the businessman and said, we're going to die. We're going to die. There's no fresh food. There's no fresh water. There's new, no food here. We're going to die a slow, torturous death. Businessman was unfazed. No, we're not. I make $125,000 a month. He said, it doesn't matter. The pilot said, it doesn't matter. He said, yes, it does. 
I tithe. Believe me, my pastor's going to find us on this island. (laughs) We're not immune from showing favoritism, and so I don't want to know who does what here, to be honest with you. But I do want to say thank you for your generosity. Thanks for the generosity you've displayed to the king for his kingdom by being generous here. So Billy Graham said this, discipleship in our society may be best marked by generosity in a greedy world. It's a great statement. Discipleship in our society may be best marked by generosity in a greedy world. By the way, those quotes are on the bulletin you have in your hand. Generosity reflects gratitude. How would it impact our culture if Christians became known as the most generous people in our world? Two weeks ago, when I last preached, I preached on addictions. We talked about alcohol, we talked about drugs, we talked about telephone, talked about a number of things. Tony Evans says this, the pursuit of money is the strongest addiction in the 21st century. He says, you want to talk about addictions? Let's talk about our addiction to money and stuff. And this morning, when I point one finger out there, I've got three pointing right back at me. Because I realize this is a battle for every one of us, including myself. Charity Singleton, or Fred Smith, or other businessman, said this, there's some persistent quirk in our thinking that convinces us that temporal things will give us permanent joy. That's a great statement. There's a persistent quirk in our thinking that temporal things will bring us permanent joy. And we're going to see in Proverbs that nothing can be further from the truth. We're going to see that it's not an amount, it's not how much, but we're going to see it's where we find and where we get true peace. So journey with me through the Proverbs. I'll have verses up in front of us, and, uh, or you can look in your devices. First point I want to make that I see in the Proverbs, the rich and the poor have this in common. All we have is a gift from God. It doesn't matter if you're rich, it doesn't matter if you're poor. The reality of it is everything that you have, everything that I have is a gift from God. Proverbs brings us out in chapter 22, verse 2, where it says, the rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is the maker of them all. God is the one who has made us. God is the one who has given everything to us. God is the one who allows us to accomplish the things that we have. God is the one who has generously provided for us in so many different ways. God is the one who has given me and given you everything that we have. And some of you say, well, Pastor Gary, I work for my stuff. My house was built on sweat equity. We built it. I invested wisely. That's how we can retire comfortably. And I ask you the question, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the understanding? Who gave you the intellect to start a business, to get degrees, to be able to have the job that you have, the business that you own? And I think instead of thinking and saying, look at what I've done, we need to say, look at what he's done. See, in our world, most people say, look what I've done. And we pat ourselves on the back. Have you noticed it's not real easy to pat yourself on the back the way that God made us? It's not that easy. But yet I find in our culture, in our world, we do that. We take credit for all these things and we should be saying, to God be the glory, great things he's done. I love that hymn that we sing, great is thy faithfulness. He's been the faithful one. Proverbs says this, the poor man and the oppressor have this in common. The Lord gives light to the eyes of both, or to the eye of both. Where where does light come from? Where does it come from? You generate it? He's saying we have this in common, whether we're rich or whether we're poor, the thing that we have in common is that we we are all and everything we have is a gift from God. Everything I possess, everything you possess. Health, wealth, whatever it might be, is a gift from God. 
And the result of that is we should be praising God and thanking God and honoring God for everything that he has given us and everything that we have. We shouldn't be saying, look at what I've done. We should be saying, look at what he's done. Charity Singleton said, generosity flows from the conviction that all we are and all we have comes from God and is given for the common good of his people. Without this kingdom perspective, it's nearly impossible to have the kind of loose grip on my life that allows me to share it freely with others. You see, when we recognize we are merely stewards of all that he's given us, then we can live our lives with open hands. See, we're just stewards of everything he's given us. A steward is a manager. We manage everything God has given us. To some of you, God has given a lot. To some of you, he's given a little. The question is not whether or not you're successful. The question is whether or not you're faithful. Scriptures don't teach us that God's going to honor the successful, but he's going to honor the faithful. He's going to say, well done, good and successful servant. Is that what he says? Well done, good and faithful servant. There are several parables that Jesus talks about if we're going to be faithful and little. Parables where he talks about handing out talents or we're going to be faithful what he's given us. And the reality of it is that we need to look in the mirror and ask ourselves, am I faithful with all that he's given me? So the first point is the rich and the poor have this in common. All we have is a gift from God. I invite you to start thinking a little differently to start thinking, God, I'm so grateful for what you've given me. I'm grateful for the intellect you've given me to be able to do the job you've given me. I'm grateful for the ability you've given me to start this business. I'm grateful for the ability and to him be the glory, great things he's done. That's a lot different than saying, look at what I've done. A lot different, but look at what he's done. Second point, riches will not satisfy the longings of our heart. I could give you about 20 verses from Proverbs. I'm only gonna give you two. But riches will not satisfy the longings of our heart. There are many people in our society, it goes back to that Fred Smith quote, we try and fill the longings of our heart with temporal things. We're looking for permanent solutions with temporal things. We think, if only I could win the lottery, then I'll be happy. If only I'll have this much, then I'll be happy. If only I, you fill in the blank. If only I have this, if only I possess this, if only I can go to this place, then I'll be happy. And what Proverbs is going to teach us over and over, riches will not satisfy the longings of our heart. Proverbs eleven twenty eight: he who trusts in riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like the green leaf. See, Proverbs teaches that if our trust is in riches, we're going to be disillusioned and disappointed. If your trust is in your bank account, it may grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. But if your trust is in that alone, one day you're going to stand before the living God and it's not going to be enough. But he says the righteous will flourish. And by the way, when he says flourish here, this is not some prosperity gospel that, that's saying you're going to have more and more of this world stuff. But I want you to think about the things that you have been given that are priceless. Priceless. The forgiveness of sin. Priceless. A father you can pray to and trust in. Priceless. A body of believers you can worship with and experience community with. Priceless to be on mission, to serve him and to honor him, it, to those that have little or to those that have much is priceless. All these things are not things that money can buy. All these things are gifts that have been given to us by our good father. Peace that surpasses all comprehension. How much would you pay for that? To have peace every day of your life. But it's priceless. It's all a gift that he 
has given to us. You see, the riches of this world can't buy that stuff. You can't buy forgiveness of sin. You can't buy eternal life. You can't buy peace. You can't buy love. You can't buy a father that hears you at none of these things, but they are all gifts given to you when you flourish as a righteous man. Proverbs goes on and says this. It says, do not weary yourself to gain wealth. Cease from your consideration of it. When you set your eyes on it, it's gone. For wealth certainly makes itself wings, like an eagle that flies towards the heaven. Those of you that have lost money over the years, you know exactly what he's talking about, right? I mean, you invest in real estate, you invest in stock, you invest in the next get rich, come quick, get rich quick scheme. You invest in some foreign currency that's going to turn into millions of dollars. You invest in, in online, some kind of scam that's there. It, there was a Nigerian guy that sent you an email saying, I have $13 million in the bank. If you send me $1,500, I'm going to double your money tomorrow. Remember those emails? I don't think they come out anymore. People fell for that stuff. And he's saying, you know what? When you set your eyes on this stuff, it's gone. It just vanishes. When you live your life for this stuff, you'll be disillusioned and disappointed. Solomon writes these words in Ecclesiastes, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. He who loves an abundance with its income, this is vanity. When John D. Rockefeller was asked a question, how much is enough, you remember his answer? One dollar more. His accountant was asked, how much did he leave? You know what his accountant's answer was? Everything. All went back in the box. Everything. If our hope and trust is in the things of this world, we're going to struggle. When I was first diagnosed with this disease six years ago, some of you were here, many of you were not, um, the first four months were hellacious. Uh, we were debt-free 100%. We had no debt. Our house was paid for, our cars paid for, everything paid for, no debt. And uh, then you get a disease and there's no cure, there's no remission. All you can do is clinical trials. And at that time, our insurance covered 0% of insurance, uh, 0% of clinical trials. And if you got hospitalized as a result of uh, that clinical trial, my insurance didn't cover a penny of me being in the hospital. Night after night, I'd fall asleep for two or three hours and wake up. Think about money. What if it takes all the money and Bev has nothing and there's nothing for her to live on and all this money we save for retirement just vanishes and goes away? And I'm embarrassed to say, I, it, it, that, that's all I could think about. My mind was fixated on that. And I realized there was a chink in my armor. I was trusting in money in a retirement account, really, really. God had provided for us over and over and over again. We have never been in poverty, but we've been in places and situations like when we're in seminary, we used to have BYOM parties. We managed an apartment complex. We had a swimming pool in that complex. It was a small complex. We'd invite our friends over. It'd be BYOM, bring your own meat. <laughs> See, we couldn't afford to buy meat for everybody. We wanted to be together, so nobody mind. We were all poor, starving seminary students at that time. And your pastor wrestled with that. Finally, two of my friends, they got fed up with it. One was here last hour, one's here this hour. They both showed up and said, here's what we're going to do. You get sick and you get hospitalized and you trump up a bill. One of them said, I'm going to pay off your mortgage. And the other one said, I'm going to pay your hospital bill. And they were serious. And what do you think my response was? You can't do that. I'm not going to let you do that. 
There's no way you're going to do that. And so I go to bed and sleep for two or three hours and wake up again thinking about money. That's all I could think about. Because there was a chink in my armor where I thought somehow this stuff I could trust in. And the reality of it was I couldn't. I had to trust in the one who supplied when we had little and also when we had a lot. Amen? And I don't know about you, but there are times when God has to slap me around and say, hey, wake up, fool. You can trust me, you can trust this stuff. What are you going to do? And God, in his goodness, as he always has been faithful, has been faithful since that day. And Solomon says, you're not going to be satisfied if that's what you chase after. You know what Paul says? He says, the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil, and some, by longing for it, have wandered away from the faith. He, he said, because of their pursuit of money and stuff, they've kicked over the traces of the faith. They don't want anything to do with the faith. They're pursuing stuff. It, now, it doesn't say money is a root of all evil, but the love of money is a root of all evil. When we love money more than anything else, we are moving, or when we love money, period, it doesn't say more than anything else, when we love money, we're in trouble. We had a friend that uh, we managed this apartment complex for in Dallas, I just mentioned, and they ended up following us to Temple and I'll never forget, he ordered from the U.S. Treasury Department, I know you get this, you can get uncut bills. And so he got $100 bills, $50 bills, $20 bills, and I think there were, uh, it was uh, five, there were 20 in each one, and he had them framed. So he's got 20 $100 bills, 20 $50 bills, 20 $20 bills framed and behind his desk in his office. Now about you, but it was me, if I got that, I'd be cutting it up and spending it. And so I said, why'd you do that? To my knowledge, he and his wife passed away without ever, knowing coming, without ever coming to know Christ, which saddens me. But I'll never forget his comment. He said, Gary, you know me and you know my heart. I love money. It was a statement. And I thought, you know, here's my unbelieving friend who's deeply honest. And some of us were deeply honest. We would say, yeah, me too. Me too. And so his hope and trust was in that stuff. I like what Bruce Wilkinson said. He said, if we owned everything our heart desired, chances are our heart would desire something else. Can you relate to that? This is a Philip Yancey quotes this guy. Uh, he was a business guy whose life was so busy, he decided he needed to spend a few days in the monastery to slow down and seek after God. You couldn't bring a phone, you couldn't bring an iPad, you couldn't bring a computer. All you could bring was a Bible into this monastery and it was a quiet monastery so the only time you could talk was at each of the three meals during the day. That was it. Otherwise, you were alone on the premises or in the, uh, I wanted to say cell, in the room that was given to you. When he was brought to his room by the monk, he said, uh, the monk looked at him and said, I hope your stay is a blessed one. If you need anything, let us know and we'll teach you how to live without it. Quite interesting. We are, we've moved from being caveman and cavewoman to being craveman and cravewoman. We're a culture who loves our stuff. In America, this is last year, we bought 3,972,603 movie tickets every day on the average. 1,683,000 plus songs or albums are downloaded. 
we bought 568,000 Titleist golf balls. I don't play golf, but if I did, I'd have to buy that many because I hit them in the water all the time. <laughs> we bought 444,650 large bags of french fries at Burger King. I guarantee you McDonald's had quadruple that that they sold. Uh, 160,968 bottles of absolute vodka. I could give you thousands of statistics. We love our stuff. If it's food, if it's alcohol, if it's entertainment, we love it. And somehow we think all this stuff, all this stuff will bring us a permanent solution to what aches in our hearts. In Proverbs says, riches will not satisfy the longings of your heart. In uh, these are, it's a sandcastle. I don't know who's, who built that sandcastle. It's pretty amazing. John Piper writes about sandcastles. He says, there's nothing wrong with having resources and wealth as long as we realize all the material stuff we have are like sandcastles. When children build sandcastles on the beach, they aren't devastated when the tide comes in and washes their work away. Kids don't sweat it. They enjoy building the sandcastles. They play with the sandcastles. They enjoy what's been given to them. But when the tide comes in and takes it away, they realize it was only a sandcastle. It's all our stuff. Not taking anything with you. How many times have we said, you've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse? Doesn't happen. I've done hundreds and hundreds of funerals. Nobody attaches a U-Haul to a hearse. Doesn't happen. So we realize, man, wanting stuff, having stuff. I mean, it's, it's Facebook and Instagram. I'm preaching on envy in two weeks. You know, what do people post on Facebook and Instagram? Our vacation this year really sucked. It was awful. We all got sunburned the first day. The food was rotten at the resort we went to. And we thought it was a five-star, it was a one-star. Nobody puts that kind of stuff down. But, but they show these pictures. They, show, they don't show when their kids are screaming and ready to go home. What they show is when everybody's happy, when everything's good and everything's great and everything's wonderful. And you sit there, look at that and said, huh. You know, they get to go to Bali. They get to go to Cancun. They get to go to Caymans. And we went to Troy. I love Troy. We got a bunch of Trojans here. Okay. But I mean, you ever look at that stuff and they go, well, what about me? And we become envious. What stuff? You know what Solomon says about that stuff? Read Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Solomon said, whatever my eyes saw and wanted, I took. He talked about buildings. He talked about planting gardens and forests. He talked about untold amounts of wealth that he had. You know what his conclusion was? This is Ecclesiastes 2, 11 and 12. Vanity of vanity, it's all vanity. He realized that stuff was not going to satisfy. Well, let's move on. Riches will not satisfy the longings of our heart. Jim Carrey said this, I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know it's not the answer. It's an amazing statement, isn't it? Jim Carrey. So I, ho I hope you get more than you want. I hope you get loaded with all this stuff and you'll find out it's not going to resolve the longings of your heart. Wealth and poverty tempt us to sin. Wealth and poverty? How do they tempt us to sin? Well, here's what Proverbs says. 
Two things I ask of you, do not refuse me before I die. Keep deception and lies away from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. So I don't want poverty, I don't want riches. Why? Because they both tempt me to sin. Feed me with the food that is my portion that I may be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? You see, the wealthy man realizes he's got all this stuff. Who needs God? That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter heaven than for what? Camel to go through the eye of a needle. He said, I want to show when you're wealthy, you look around and say, who's the Lord? You've got everything you need. Who needs God when you've got everything? Wealth breeds independence. And he says, don't give me wealth because I don't want to deny you and say, who's the Lord? Don't give me poverty because I may want to steal and profane your name. By the way, if you're in poverty here and we have folks that worship with us that are in poverty, you don't have to steal for food. We will supply you with food. You, you, you email me this week. If, if, you, if your family doesn't have food, we'll take care of that. But the reality, he's saying, it's a temptation for both of us to sin. When you've got a lot, you begin trusting in what you have. When you have a little, you say, why me? And you go get what you want. Both wealth and poverty tempt us to sin. Giving is an honor and part of our worship. In Proverbs chapter three, he says, honor the Lord from your wealth and from the first of all your produce. He's saying from the first, they were in agrarian culture. He says, from your first fruits, you honor the Lord because if you don't give me your first fruits, you're not gonna give me any fruits. We don't write checks anymore. I mean, we debit everything except our checks to TBC. Uh, for some reason, I, 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 I wanna still write a check here. So, so we give, God has blessed us and we give hopefully generously. I, I'm not gonna say sacrificially, but we certainly give generously. And that's really the only checks we write uh, on a regular basis, checks here, because I, there's something about writing that check, stick it in a box that, that I, we still enjoy doing. But we give it the first fruits. First check we write, first thing we debit is that. Because what I've learned over the years, you don't give the first fruit, there's not even any fruit to give. And Proverbs, Solomon's writing this, is honor the Lord from your wealth. You see, here's the reality. For some of us, we're not honoring the Lord with our wealth at all. It's an honor to give. It's a privilege to give. It's part of our worship to give. If everything we have is a gift from God, we're just stewards and just giving back a portion of all he's given us. And here's the reality. We are quick to judge the sexually immoral. We're quick to judge the guy in the corner holding up a sign needing help. We're quick to judge the person that gossips. We're quick to judge the lady who bears too much skin. What about the non-giver, the non-generous giver? Is that sinful? David Platt wrote a book called Radical. You want to be convicted, pick up the book Radical. Our elder board read it, and uh, it's just a convicting book. In that book, Platt says this. So what's the difference between someone who willfully indulges in sexual pleasures while ignoring the Bible on moral purity and someone who willfully indulges in the selfish pursuit of more and more material possessions while ignoring the Bible on giving and caring for the poor? That's convicting. The difference is one's a social taboo and the other involves a social norm. Giving should not be out of guilt, it should be out of worship. Because of what the Savior has done for us, we should live our lives generously. 
And I can look at you and say, if you're not giving, you're sinning. If you're giving the same $100 you gave 15 years ago, and uh, you've had raises along the way, and, you're, and, and I can speak from the strength of TBC, God has supplied for us over and over. You heard what I did at the beginning. I wanted to thank you for everything you've given. But we're quick to judge a lot of people. The reality is, if you're not giving, you're sinning. Read Galatians 6. If you're taught the word, you should give. So be a doer of the word and not merely a hearer. Look in the mirror and ask God, so what should we do? When's the last time you talked to your husband or your wife about what do we give? Why do we give? How much do we give? And you become generous with everything God's given you. Why? Because of generous Jesus. That's why. Because Jesus is our example and he is generous. C.S. Lewis said, I'm not sure all happy people are generous, but I never saw a generous person who wasn't happy. Everything we have belongs to him. How many of you guys have tools in your garage? A couple of you? I've got two. You know what they are, right? WD-40 and duct tape. It's all you need in life. If it doesn't move and it should move, you get WD-40. If it's uh, just the opposite, you get duct tape. That's all you need. But you know, I learned a long time ago, I, I've got a few tools in there. If my neighbor needs a tool, come get it. Come get it. Get a refrigerator in your garage, why don't you put some drinks in there and let the kids in the neighborhood come help themselves. You, you, got, you got extra space in your house? Somebody needs a place to stay? Why don't you let them stay? Somebody needs a ride to work? Why don't you give them a ride to work? Get extra food in your pantry? Why don't you give it away? Live your life this way. Not this way. You know why? Because that's what our example did. Jesus lived that way. He said, have this attitude in yourselves that was in Christ Jesus, who all the existence of the form of God, not regarding equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men. The most generous person in the world left the glory of heaven, surrounded by the worship of the angels that were there to become a man. Can you imagine what that was like? One moment face to face with the Father in the splendor of heaven. And he generously gave it all up for us. Not only that, he became sin. He who knew no sin became sin so we might become the righteousness of God. You talk about generosity. The generosity of taking on sin when you were innocent so that people like us could become righteous. I don't know who said it first. But I agree with the statement, he who has no money is poor. But he who has nothing but money, he's even poor. If all you got is money, I heard for you. Because one day you're going to stand before the living God and say, it's not enough. Why should I let you my kingdom? Well, here's my credit card. Why should I let my kingdom? Well, here's my portfolio. I, I did all this for you. Depart from me, you worker of iniquity, I know you not. But when you stand naked before him and bear and say, the only reason I should be here is because of the grace of, that you've bestowed to me and the salvation that Christ has given me. 
you're richer and have been given something so priceless. I'll never be bought. Be generous. Be generous. Because our Savior was generous. Let's conclude with this video. Now, my grandmother was a wonderful person. She taught me how to play the game Monopoly. She understood that the name of the game is to acquire. She would accumulate everything she could, and eventually she became the master of the board. And eventually, every time, she would take my last dollar, and I would quit in utter defeat. And then she would always say the same thing to me. She'd look at me and she'd say, One day, you'll learn to play the game. One summer, I played Monopoly with a neighbor almost every day, all day long. We'd play Monopoly for hours. And that summer, I learned to play the game. I came to understand the only way to win is to make a total commitment to acquisition. I came to understand that money and possessions, that's the way that you keep score. And by the end of that summer, I was more ruthless than my grandmother. I was ready to bend the rules if I had to to win that game. And I sat down with her to play that fall. I took everything she had. I destroyed her financially and psychologically. I watched her give her last dollar and quit in utter defeat. And then she had one more thing to teach me. Then she said, Now it all goes back in the box. All those houses and hotels, all the railroads and utility companies, all that property and all that wonderful money, now it all goes back in the box. I didn't want it to go back in the box. No, she said. None of it was really yours. You got all heated up about it for a while. But it was around a long time before you sat down at the board. And it will be here after you're gone. Players come and players go. But it all goes back in the box. One day, it all goes back in the box. And if that's what your hope and trust is in, you're going to be disappointed and disillusioned. But when your trust is in him, our generous Jesus, then you recognize you've been given something so priceless that money will never buy. It's the gift of forgiveness, the gift of salvation, the gift of hope, the gift of peace, the gift of worship. Live your life this way, not that way. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Proverbs, these wise writing that tell us not to put our trust in stuff, but in you. And some of us are convicted. We're convicted because we're not generous. We're convicted because our trust is in the wrong place. We're convicted because we think more about money than we ever think about you. And I pray conviction today will become action tonight. We display in our desires to worship you and to love you and to follow the example of generous Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Bless you.